Thanks, Pastor Sarah. How are we all doing? Oh, well, finally got the mic. Oh, awesome. Um, God is doing an awesome work, amen. And I mean, Shucks, we just had a couple of courses here graduating, getting the certificates. And, you know, God is raising an army. He's building a people strong and mighty, you know, for a time as this. You know, God is pouring out His Spirit mightily, yeah? And 2015, ooh, it's going to be our greatest breakthrough, our greatest turnaround. So don't be surprised if God is doing something in your life. You know, having wisdom in our life helps us get things, get some perspective, get some bit of peace of mind, a bit of, bit of calmness about what God's doing. You know, sometimes it's good to work with God other than working against Him. Amen? Praise God. So uh, to no further ado, look, I've had a, a crazy week. I don't know about you guys, but man, my world's been upside down, sideways, up, uh, all over the place. Um, but, um, you know, it's really good to be in the presence of God. You know, uh, we have an awesome worship team here. I just, you know, saw a number of things here just during worship and what God has shown me, how powerful our worship team is. You know, not only, you you may not see it physically, you know, like that, but in the spiritual realm, we are really breaking through in the spiritual realm, setting people free, entering into the presence of God, and allowing God to enter into our lives and bring about that healing, whatever it may be for our lives, you know, for us to grow and establish the kingdom of God here on earth. Amen. Ain't God doing an awesome work? Let's give him some praise. Um, well, I was thinking about wisdom. I was wrestling with the word and, and trying to find out what God is exactly what trying to, uh, wanting to say to us in terms of winning with wisdom. Um, you know, uh, there's so much information out there this age. It's an information age. However, there's so very little um, wisdom out there in all that information. And it's important that we start to focus on God, that allow his spirit start to, to, to speak into our lives and start to bring about that that their breakthrough, whether it be through family, our children, the relationships that we have, um, you know, with our spouses, or even um, even our finances, you know, bringing about an order in there that we're able to prosper, you're able to break through and get prosperity in those areas. Not only that, we, we you know, we're working here, I mean, in the political realm, you know, in the nation of Australia, God is doing an amazing thing also. Who knows that there's uh, there's an array of, of many things happening, not only in our lives, not in, only in our communities, but around the world, yeah? Um, uh, you just look at the, the news feed, on, or possibly on your Facebook, or on the news and stuff like that. There is massive shifts that is happening, and God is in it, amongst it. God says that he is the master planner of the nations, amen? That he is, he's got everything in his hands, and that he is in control. You know, when we start to get perspective on how God sees things, you know, we start to get a peace of mind. We start to have that that uh, that 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 security that God has things in control, despite what we can see with our physical eyes. And as soon as we start to tap into that spiritual realm and we begin to see things in the spirit and to hear things in the spirit, we begin to start to to uh, to see the kingdom of God or to see the workings of God working in our lives. Amen? Awesome. Okay, winning with wisdom. Oh, I was saying just uh, recently, entering into the presence of God just has that that peace, you know? I mean, for like, for instance, this week I, I've had a, a crazy week. My dog got run over. Uh, my property manager was, 
giving me a headache, um, you know, you know, transferring funds that didn't need to be transferred somewhere. It was all uh, a bit of a ray. And then um, not only that, um, yeah, my fridge was empty with food. So I needed to go and do some more shopping. Um, and, and all of that, just entering into the presence of God, entering into this place like church or a prayer house or into worship, um, there's that presence, you know, that when you enter into the presence of God, think God puts things into perspective. And your troubles don't seem to be troubling you no more. Yeah? The things of heaven really begin to reside and you begin to hear what really is important. Amen? And, you know, for instance, what, uh, what was said earlier on, that Jesus is the focus. He's the one thing that we need to focus on. And if you want to obtain wisdom, it's in Jesus. And, and that's what we're going to do here. We're going to start to unpack some of that so that we can start to, to live it out and start to um, walk it out in our lives. Amen. You know, God is imparting wisdom, this person, Jesus Christ, that, if, uh, that is effective in any situation. God is pouring out his wisdom upon his people. He is putting together strategies. He's putting together answers, rewards, and victory for you. God, this season, um, God is working, uh, working wisdom into your life. He's like he's working it like, a, like leaven, and, and it works into a piece of dough. You know how you work leaven into a piece of dough? You beat it. You beat it, and you work it in. <laughs> and he's working that wisdom in you, and he's going to... And, and, and he's, he's, he's putting those things right that's inside so that you will able to express the kingdom of God out in the community, out in, the, out in your workplace, and out um, in the earth. Amen? He is also working in our community and nation. God likens us to a city on the hill that attracts um, all nations to him. Amen? Um, God is giving us the key to wisdom to unlock doors and, um, that have been closed to us. Um, I had a prophetic word not too long ago. Um, you know, um, as a, I was going to say young man, but I'm a bit uh, past that now. Um, you know, just trying to find purpose in life uh, uh, for young people, um, you know, it can be a struggle. And uh, when you find your purpose and your calling and your gifting in God, there's that there's that freedom, there's that drive, there's that passion uh, to, to live, to do things uh, for God that, is, that just sets us alight, you know, that, that really brings meaning to our life other than just the, main, the mundane things of life like working or, or whatever it may be. Um, not that it's bad. I mean, if God has called you in that position, then there's that purpose and there's that drive and passion. So wisdom to, uh, for God to open up your lives um, in, that, in that area uh, um, is great. For me, for instance, that, like the prophetic word that I had not too long ago was that God is giving us a key. That key is going to open up uh, those, those things that have been locked to us, whether it be provision, whether it be purpose, whether it be... Uh, 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 reconciliation uh, for, uh, for for relationships um, or, wh- or whatever it may be, God is giving you wisdom to unlock those things uh, that have been locked to us. God is giving us the ability to move obstacles that have held us, um, have blocked us from moving closer to Him and closer to our calling in God. Amen. Um, what is wisdom? 
What is wisdom and how do we get a hold of it? You know, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, What is this fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is when we begin to recognize that our life is about God and not about us. Amen? Um, And that is the beginning of wisdom. When we get our perspective right, when we... um, when we um, understand and believe that it's not about just blessing us, it's about being a blessing to many people. You know, when we get that perspective right, we begin to see things more clearly. We begin to see things for how they are and how they really work. And it's only through them that we are able to operate and work and activate um, what um, what we are called to do. Uh, for instance, in the past, in the in the in the um, in the bronze in the bronze age and in the um, iron age, back in the time um, way way back then, uh, they used to believe that the world was flat, and that they uh, were uh, very scared to to sail out from their their security because uh, they would believe that if they sailed out too far, the ship would fall off the edge of the world. Um, in the 1400s, uh, Columbus, I believe. Uh, Uh, discovered that the world was round. It was only then that he started to begin to find new worlds, new nations, uh, new places, uh, new people. Uh, And that was when um, he was able to take the word of God around the world. You know, when we get a new perspective, when we have God as our perspective, we begin to expand our thinking or doors open up to us so we are able to walk through uh, walk beyond what we see in front of us. Amen? Isn't that awesome to have God as our perspective? That's having the fear of the Lord. Having the fear of the Lord um, is, uh, is something that, that, is, that is a cornerstone in, in achieving wisdom and obtaining it. I'm going to have uh, speak um, briefly on the, the story of Solomon just as a backdrop to... Uh, to the um, this topic, wisdom. Um, in the days of Solomon, um, if we look at the the life of Solomon in Second Chronicles seven and five, we see that um, Solomon honored God with, with with offerings and sacrifice. Not only that, he worshipped God, you know, with with music and musicians. Uh, and not only that, uh, Solomon kept God's ordinances and feasts. Uh, and he's also obedient to God's will. Now, these are all things that we're very familiar with as in our Christian walk. Amen. Today, we celebrated the Passover, you know, uh, the resurrection of God with, with the bread and wine. Uh, we worship God every Sunday. We come here of the Sabbath, um, you know, um, honoring his feast days. You know, these things are, are, are very, uh, very common to us. Um, But you know, it's it's you know it's more than just these things. I believe you know it's like when we it's like when we start to die a garment. It's not just about the action. It's like when we die a garment, we really start to submerge that garment in the dye. If you've seen someone um, dye a garment or anything like that, they have a big pot with the dye in it, and they get that garment and they really dye it, and you got to really submerge it so the the whole garment is is dyed uh, through. You know, right throughout. You know, not that stone wash stuff that um, possibly some of our older folk used to do back in the days. But you know, when you really start to dye a garment, uh, you start to change that thing from uh, from old to new. 
Uh, last week we had the baptism over here when we, uh, uh, you know, when we symbolize that, that life that has been buried in, in Christ, submerged in Christ, and then rises up again new um, in God. You know, it's a total transformation. It's the way we see the world um, in God's eyes. Uh, this is the fear of the Lord um, that... that um, uh, that we start to enter in, when we start to, to acknowledge God for who he is and we start to honor him for who, is, who he is. God says that taste and see that I am good. Who, is, who, who has tasted a, um, uh, um, uh, um, you know, it's hard to, to tell somebody, um, have you, uh, you know, whether they've experienced a strawberry or a banana if they haven't tasted it before, amen? It's very hard to describe something that you haven't tasted if you haven't really experienced it. Amen? So to, in order to experience God, we really need to start to, to, to really uh, fear him for who he is and start to experience him and taste and see um, that the Lord is good. Amen? It's, um, it's in everything that we do. Uh, because Solomon did excellent deeds and serving God, Solomon pleased God so much that Solomon, um, that God asked of Solomon, you know, what is it that you would want? Um, and Solomon goes to say that uh, in First Kings three, verse four. Um, let me s- just gather my notes here. And the king of Jerusalem sacrificed. Okay, that was great, Solomon. Okay, and the Lord. So after. Um, after Solomon became king, he offered God much sacrifice. Uh, he was very diligent in sacrificing to God um, and, and, and keeping his ordinances and his feasts. And, um, and God was very pleased with him, you know, um, in, in what he did. And God um, appeared to Solomon in a dream and asked him, What is it that you want of me? And Solomon said, Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. What is wisdom? We've got to ask ourselves, what is wisdom? In the, in the Bible, if we can read some of the translations here, we start to get some understanding of what wisdom is. In. in King James, it says, understanding. Therefore, give your servant understanding of heart. In the other uh, Christian translations, it says, give your servant an obedient heart. In God's words translation, it says, Give me a heart that listens. And Jubilee um, translation says, Give, therefore, thy slave a hearing heart. So a lot of it is hearing. The basics of wisdom is actually hearing the Lord, hearing what he is saying, seeing what he is saying, having a relationship with God where you're able to relate with him, he's able to speak into your life in any given situation, and he will be able to bring you wisdom give you the answers that you've been able to speak at that particular time or whatever it may be, whether it be a strategy in your finances, whether it be a, resurrection, uh, a resolution in your family affairs, whatever it may be. Listen to the Lord. Seek the Lord and hear his voice. This is wisdom. Um, we, so Solomon had the ability to have wisdom. He was given uh, you know, that wisdom to govern a, a great nation, Israel, and in 
you know, and he, and he lived to, to be a, a, a great king. The Bible describes him as a great king. His palaces were, were arrayed with gold and silver. His servants were, were in order and, and dressed, um, you know, immaculately. Queen Sheba, all the queens and kings would talk of the magnificent wisdom that Solomon had. They were drawn to, to, to the kingdom of Solomon and what God and what Solomon was doing in serving the Lord. Queen Sheba entered into... Um, uh, paid tribute to King Solomon, and, and were, uh, she was speechless, speechless at, at what um, had Sol- Solomon had put together through the work of God through, in his life. You know, uh, uh, there's a point um, in, uh, in that whole uh, line of Solomon's um, uh, life in Kings 3 and 4. Um, it says that uh, Solomon is, is talking to, to, to one of the other kings about um, bringing more material to build the, build the temple. And this is what he says in the letter. It says, But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, so that there is neither adversary nor evil result. Imagine that. A kingdom at peace with its neighbors and everything else. No adversary could touch him. It was a place where the devil could not touch him. It was a place where they were a, a, a place high and lifted up, a city on a hill where the devil could not touch. There was no trouble. The community, the social community um, fabric of this community was working. Uh, people were happy. People had purpose. People were blessed. Amen. It was, it, don't we want that in our lives? Is that something that we want, church? Amen. Amen. There, I'm remembered by a story. Um, it's called the snake line. You know, um, back in the early American settlers' days uh, when uh, people w- began to go over to America to settle down, they would go and buy land and, and establish farms and, and raise up their families and stuff like that. And they would ask the seller of the land, is this place above the snake line? The snake line is a, a line or an altitude uh, on the earth where no snakes go, f- uh, go above. There is a place that high above, on, on a high ground where snakes don't go. And a lot of people, uh, early settlers, would go and ask whether the, uh, their property was above the snake line. Because above the snake line, they would, their family would be safe. Their, their stocks would be safe. Uh, they were able to raise their families um, you know, in a safe environment. Below the snake line was a lot of rattlesnakes, copperheads and other venomous snakes that, that, uh, that were deadly uh, towards their families. You know, God is raising us up to a level where we are a city on a hill, where God says that we are the salt of the earth. He's saying that we are like leaven, uh, that, 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 is, uh, that is a raising agent um, in, you know, in our community. Amen. God is implanting and outpouring into us, church, wisdom for us to be in a place uh, to establish a kingdom where people of the nations can come and say they are blessed and that God can be exalted. Amen. A place where God has raised us up from grass levels up to a high place where we can exalt God and we can testify that God is great and that God is magnificent and that he is the Lord of Lords. Amen. Amen. So that um, I hope that helps that out with you guys. But I think the bottom line uh, when I think about wisdom is that 
the presence of God. You know that you know, wisdom is not just knowing information or knowing the principles of the Bible. Wisdom is about having a relationship with God or being in the presence of God uh, that he is able to have a relationship with you. Um, when we talk about the presence of God, we're not just talking about the, the, the kingdom of God. We're talking about the king himself. When you have the king himself, you have the kingdom with you. Amen. When you have the king established within your heart, you know, he will start to give you instructions and, give you, and, and make him the lord of your life. He is able to put things right in your life in the physical realm. Amen. You know, the Bible says that... Um, um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. First, he ex- first you put him right in your heart as king in your heart, and then he will be able to establish a kingdom here on earth. Amen. Okay, bless you, church. I just want to pray. Father, Lord, we just pray for your wisdom to continue to uh, be outpoured to your people uh, on our lives, Lord God. Father, we pray for breakthrough, Lord God, and the working of that, um, of that wisdom, Lord God, in our lives. We're able to, to open doors and, uh, and, and overcome obstacles, Lord God, that have held us, Lord God, back. Father, we believe that 2015 is be our greatest turning point, Lord God. Father, we believe, Lord God, that you are, uh, Lord Father, um, everything that we need, Lord God, and that the relationship that we have with you, Lord God, would bring about, Lord God, uh, a, a kingdom and established here on earth. In your mighty name, we pray. Amen and amen. Awesome. Okay, then. Uh, it's... I'm going to offer this mic over to Pastor Sarah, and she's going to take it from here. Let's give her a great hand. Wow. You know, um, got a short window of opportunity this morning to talk to you about winning with wisdom, but first of all, I just want to thank Pastor Thomas just for his um, words of nuggets, just for the things that he's been able to pull out for us to um, for us to be able to um, gain some more wisdom and understanding on. Amen. So thank you, Pastor Thomas. That was awesome. You know, did you... Yeah, let's give him a hand. Wow. Did you know that in the New King James Version of the Bible, in the Old Testament, the word wisdom is mentioned 181 times, but in the New Testament, it's mentioned 53 times. Just a bit of a fun fact for you. But anyway, we'll go on from here. Because this morning, I want to look at two things regarding winning with wisdom. The first that I want to focus on this morning is the foundation on which wisdom is built and how it is established in our lives. And the second is why wisdom is a winning ingredient when it comes for us to stay on course. Amen. So how do we measure wisdom? Can we measure it with a ruler? No. What do we gauge it on? You know, my idea of what might be wise may be totally different to yours. Is that right? So what are we basing our wisdom on? You know, my dad, his favorite saying is, the mind boggles. Now, I'm going to tell you what that basically means in his words. I'm right, and everybody else is an idiot. That's what he means by that saying. But my dad's not a Christian, so, you know, there's room for God to move. And he's awesome, but yeah. Um, You know, this is an example of someone who believes that wisdom comes from man. And this is not uncommon in the world. And surprisingly, it's actually not uncommon in the church either. Um, But is this the wisdom that the Bible speaks of? 
You know, let's take me and Danny, for example. I'm going to start with Danny. Danny is a squiggly line. Now, he's what some of you might call out of the box. His way of thinking is completely different to mine. And when he gets a big idea, I totally freak out. And already I have a thousand and one reasons to try and to try and push on him why that idea is not such a good idea after all. And it's funny because in my conservative kind of little straight line and a nice little neat box thinking, it's like I think I'm doing him a favor by pulling him into line because he's just too way out there for me. <laughs> and it's in that moment I feel that my opinions are the wisest. I feel like I've got all the wisdom because that's been like my idea of what wisdom is. You know, and don't the rest of us conservative straight lines believe it's our God-given duty to pull those squiggly lines into order? Would you agree? Who's a straight line in this place? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Eh? <laughs> but you know, um, I've changed. <laughs> God's had to teach me otherwise. And God actually showed me that my way of thinking was actually based on fear. My way of thinking was actually based on fear. And, um, and, he, and the Lord also showed me that there's been some times because of that, that because of my actions, I've actually stopped my husband from fulfilling projects. And sometimes he stood there looking silly after telling one his big idea. And then Sarah comes along and goes, no, 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 we can't do that. And then he's left and nothing's been done about it. I take full responsibility for that. Um, and you know what? God showed me that that's actually wisdom based on my own understanding. You know, I love what Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 and 8 says. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. So the Bible makes it quite clear not to be wise in our own eyes. So where does true wisdom come from then? Jesus told us about two builders. One was wise and one was foolish. Jesus tells a story after giving instruction and life lessons on how to live for him. He begins the builder story in Matthew seven twenty four with, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The first builder was wise and he built his house on the rock. The other, the other builder was foolish and he built his house on the sand. What do you think happened when a storm like Friday's came along? You know, a house is only as good as the foundation that it's set on. Would you agree? So obviously when the storm came, the house that was built on the shifting soil on the sand, it got swept away. So the story goes. But that wise builder who built his house on the rock, his house was immovable. So how does that story translate to us today? You know, we want to be like the wise builder. Who wants to be like the wise builder? Because I want to be like that wise builder. He built his house on the rock. And the house today, it speaks of our life and everything in it. And the rock, it speaks of Christ Jesus. Amen? So the foundation of wisdom is the rock. Church, if we build our lives on the rock of Jesus Christ, wisdom will flow. Amen? So how do we do that? 
You know, it's actually by what Jesus, that, that, that the first part of the scripture I read out at the beginning, by what Jesus said at the very beginning, putting the word of God into practice in our life. You know, and we also know that in John 1, if we want to, you know, dig just a bit deeper, that Jesus is the word of God, right? So putting the word of God into practice would mean also for us to abide in him and for him to abide in us as we see in Romans 15.4. You know, and a key, another key verse that sums up the foundation of wisdom and the establishment of it in our lives can be found in Psalms 111 verse 10. And Pastor Thomas read it out before. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments, his praise endures forever. You know, I'm not so quick to judge my husband now and all of his freaky ideas. You know, I try now to hold my tongue and I pray. And, you know, because I, I actually want to be, I don't want to be fear-led, but I want to be Holy Spirit-led. Because if there's something that, if you haven't caught it yet, wisdom actually comes from being led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? You know, many times the Lord has shown me that some of those big faith ideas were actually God's idea in the first place. So who was I just to come and squash it because of my own insecurities? You know, wisdom doesn't always look like conservative and contained. It can sometimes look freaky. But in God, it's wisdom. You know, we can find that in 1 Corinthians 27 because it puts it like this. He has chosen the foolish of this world to put shame to the wise. So let's go to the second, the second part of, today, of, of the message I want to say, um, speak of today. So why is wisdom a key winning ingredient to stay in the race till the end and stay on course? You know, again, Pastor Thomas spoke of King Solomon, so we, I'm going to go there as well today. King Solomon was the third king of Israel, and like many of us, he started his race in full form. Um, you know, Pastor Thomas mentioned before that in First Kings chapter 3, we read about him. When he first came into reign, God appeared to him in a dream and asked what he would like. And King Solomon definitely knew how to gain brownie points with God. Because King Solomon came humbly before God and said to him, God, I want an understanding heart to judge God, people, that I might be able to discern between good and evil. And obviously God was chuffed with Solomon's response. And then his response to King Solomon in 1 Kings 3:11 to 14 went like this, but I kind of paraphrased it to shorten it a bit. Because you haven't asked for long life, riches, or a life of your enemies, but you have asked for an understanding heart to judge God's people and discern between good and evil, I am giving you what you ask for, a wise and understanding heart. I will also give you what you haven't asked for, riches and honor. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Did you hear the last bit? You know, God's clause, God put a clause in there. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. God knew that King Solomon would still need to make right decisions that would determine whether or not he stayed on the course. You know, it's a bit like us. You know, we're granted favor. We're granted grace. But grace and favor doesn't determine whether we stay on course. 
Grace and favour doesn't determine how we end. Is that right? You see, grace will empower us to overcome sin, to overcome challenges, but it's actually up to us whether we choose to walk in it. You know, God granted him an abundance of wisdom, but he would have to choose to tap into it, to walk in it. You know, God's wis- um, and, and, and to walk in, the, in God's wisdom when faced with hard decisions. You know, Solomon was well known for his wisdom, and there were many great accounts of situations where his wisdom was put to the test, and he overcame. And you know what? I, I can't go into that this morning due to time, but... Um, I want to I enter into, in, in, into this part of Solomon's life. Uh, but at which point did King Solomon go off course? Because I think it's sometimes good to learn not just from what people do right, but also from mistakes that people make. Because it can save us from going down the same, the same road. One word. Can anyone guess it? Woman. <laughs> yep, he just couldn't resist them. You know, I bet you most husbands in this place today can tell you it's bad enough having one wife nagging in your ear, let alone 700 wives and 300 concubines. Would you agree? Men in the house? (laughs) Thanks, Henry. (laughs) You know, I can't even imagine what it would be like. And, and, And also, you know, what if they were all... Imagine if all these women, they all had their own different religious beliefs. It's a recipe for disaster for someone who wants to live for the Lord. Is that right? So God had made it clear to the children of Israel that they were not to marry foreign women. Now, does that make God a racist? Of course not. But he knew that foreign women served foreign gods, and that by marrying them, there would be that risk that that, that, that the Israelites would actually turn to foreign gods that their wives we're getting into and would be led astray. So Solomon had a thing for all the foreign women. They were his favorite women, the foreign ones, even though he knew. <laughs> and consequently, he disobeyed God. His flesh won over wisdom. You know, did you know that the Lord actually appeared to him twice? That's this amazing grace of God. He appeared to him twice to warn him, but he wasn't listening. And in 1 Kings 11.11, God tells King Solomon the consequences of his decisions. Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out out of the hand of your son. Did you catch that? Solomon's flesh-based decision not only affected him, it also affected the generations to come. You know, it's like he cut the generational blessing. So what decisions, what decisions are you making today? What decisions are you making that may adversely affect not only you, but the next generation? You know, I, wanna, I just want to take it back for a minute. For all you single ones out there, or maybe you're just in a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, I want to challenge you this morning. You know, are you making wise choices? Are you choosing a partner based on your flesh? 
what you want? Are you seeking wise counsel? Is your partner a Christian? And I'm not talking about someone who might believe in a higher power or from a religious background. I'm actually talking about a born-again believer. One, does he or she love the Lord? And two, is he or she supportive of your decision, I'm going to say the word, to hold off sex until marriage? I'm going to put it out there today because, you know, it's affecting it's affected our family. It's affecting Christian churches today. It's not just affecting the world anymore. You know, you've got to ask yourself these tough questions. If you answered no to any of those last questions, and I'm encouraging you to reevaluate your relationship or potential relationship, listen. The Bible is very clear in 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked. What does darkness have to do with light and an unbeliever with a believer? You know, my husband always used to say to our kids, you know, if you end up with an unbeliever, then your father-in-law becomes the devil. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> you've got to take those things into consideration. Or if our father's God, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's straight down the line. <laughs> oh, but you don't understand. I'm going to win them. You know what? Go and have a conversation with someone who's already fallen into that trap before you, and I can assure you they will tell you that they wish they had listened to good advice. But due to stubbornness, pride in the flesh, they powered on into a life of strife. You know, who you partner with will affect your future. This is all part of wisdom. God has someone for you, someone who will compliment you in your ministry and raising the children and in everything. And church, remember that we're not the matchmaker for people, but God's the matchmaker. So be very careful what we speak out when it comes to, you know, when it comes to joking around. Okay, because, yeah, some situations sometimes. <laughs> now let's, you know, now let's, but you know what, let's, let's change from Solomon now. Now let's look at the five wise virgins who get, also give us a major clue um, how to stay on course and win the race. This is found in Matthew 25. Matthew 25 verse 5 says, But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But, and when the bridegroom came, they went in with him because they had prepared themselves and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, the foolish were disqualified. Can you imagine that? Don't be like them. Don't disqualify yourself from the race. You know, I don't know about you, but there's, I mean, I know that on Facebook, you know how you can say feeling blessed, feeling, and there's one that goes like um, feeling meh. <laughs> like, eh. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you, I've had those moments like, really, I can't be bothered. Even, even, even for seasons, you know, it's 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 kind of normal sometimes to feel like that. But there's normally a reason for it. You know, sometimes it's those days where I'd just rather be blobby in front of the TV. You know, come on, be honest. I know I'm not the only one here. Am I right? Who has those meh moments? <laughs> okay, you know. You know, I've had those times. You know, I have to say God is so good because even um, in the midst of those times when we've had to minister, God has always come through. It's like I've winged my way through it. And I believe God will allow it for a season, but if you become too, loose, too used to the laziness, you're going to miss out. That's a serious side of it. We can joke about it, but there's a serious side of it. 
time to get serious. You know, if we want to stay on track, we have to be like the five wise virgins. And we have to take time to fill our lamps, to draw from God. Because, you know, and even Pastor Thomas spoke about this, about being filled up, about spending time in his presence. You know, when filled up with God's presence, the Bible looks different. People look different, situations look different, decisions take a different turn because we begin to see things through God's eyes. And worldly people will look at you and go, wow, what's different about them? (laughs) You know, I don't want my meh moment to turn into a lifestyle where I become like the five foolish virgins who were shut out. You know, it kind of reminds me of that sobering verse um, in the Bible where Jesus says, get away from me, I never knew you. But Jesus, I prophesied. Jesus, I'm a pastor. But Jesus, I did this in your name. You know what? Just get away from me. I never knew you. How sad would that be? It's, it's something that always keeps me, you know, on track. But you know what? You know, there's a quote by John Wooden that goes, Ability may get you to the top, but it takes character to keep you there. And I'd like to add this, it also takes time spent with God to keep you there. But then you know what, I guess that's part of, I guess that's where true character comes from, hey, from spending time with God. And I'm closing this morning and I'd like to encourage you in your own time to read and meditate on the book of Proverbs. It's where you'll find more answers to the two questions I asked earlier about, you know, what are the, you know, the foundations on which wisdom is built and how is it established in our lives and why is wisdom a winning ingredient for us to stay on course. You know, through Proverbs, you'll read things like don't join a gang and prey on innocent victims. I'm paraphrasing, but there is a scripture like that in Proverbs. (laughs) I'm like, these guys are gangsters. (laughs) And your mother and father are usually always right. It's true most of the time. (laughs) And wisdom protects you, so get as much of it as you can. And hanging with the wise makes you wise, but hanging with a turkey makes you a... Yeah. (laughs) And the list goes on. Reading Proverbs will help you to see where things have gone off track, but the good news is that because of God's amazing grace and the work on the cross, it's never too late to get back on track. Hashtag true story. Go and check it out for yourself. (laughs) And on that note this morning, I'd just like to invite Pastor Jason to come and share his insights on winning with wisdom. You know, let's give him a hand as he comes up this morning. Thank you, Pastor Sarah. Wasn't that a great message? And isn't it interesting, we don't actually like get together and talk about what each other's going to speak about, but Pastor Thomas laid a really good foundation about what wisdom is and where we can find it. And then Pastor Sarah talks about how we can keep on making wise decisions through life. Now, I wanted to bring something that's actually a very challenging message this morning. Are you guys happy if I bring a challenging message? Yeah? And I just want to let you know that my agenda behind this is not to condemn, to convict, to do anything like that. It comes from my personal experience that I have lost friendships over. Um, And it comes from caring about this church. I want to see this church be unified, to stand together. We can't be a city on a hill if we're fighting in that city on a hill. No one's going to be looking to us going, we want to be like them. And we're all going, fighting, fighting, fighting. All right. So what I wanted to talk about is something that's been on my heart for about two and a half months now. 
and it's opinions. Now, I was thinking and praying about it. I think that opinions are really an assault on the unity of the church. So an opinion is a view or judgment formed about something, but not necessarily based on fact or knowledge. People can say that, in my opinion, is right. Synonyms to opinions are belief, judgment, school of thought, way of thinking, point of view, angle, slant, side, attitude, stance, perspective, position or standpoint. There are two types of opinions, and it's okay to have opinions. So you can go to a restaurant and go, my opinion is that's a great restaurant, or that movie was a really bad movie. And then there are other things, like life, politics, and religion, that you have to exercise wisdom when it comes to giving your opinion. And in this day and age, it would seem that everyone believes that it's their right to have an opinion. If you look at Facebook... You look at every news and media source, they come out and say, this is what's happened, what do you think about it? And everyone gets in there and it turns into a fight, basically. <laughs> and, not, and not just like a fight between ideals and, and stuff, it, comes, it becomes really personal. Um, somehow we feel that our opinion is tied to our, I, our identity. Sorry, I'm very tired, I have a young baby. <laughs> so, um, our friendships are based on matching opinions. Our businesses and partnerships are divided due to opinions. Nations are split due to political opinions. Facebook and other social media arenas are rife with opinions that quickly turn to personal attacks and often into hate speech. The enemy has discovered that the quickest way to bring disunity in the house of God is for every Christian to be convinced that they're entitled to their own opinion, that they need to share it or post it on Facebook or any other social media, and that other Christians must agree with them in order to be unified. But I want to throw this out there, that your opinion can be the gateway to offence. Now, offence is a completely different message. If you want to read a book, there's The Bait of Satan by John Bevere, and he talks about how dangerous offence is to the Christian. But even here, right now, we're in the presence of God, in the middle of a church service, and I could ask a question that will split this room. Do you want to hear an example of a question like that? What do you think about marriage equality and gay marriage? Now, straight away, you're going to have some people, I think this, I think that, I think this, I think that. What do you think about capital punishment and the death penalty? I think this, I think this, I think this. More subtly, and this creeps into church, and you see it time and time again. What's your take on that new guy that's been coming to church? I haven't met him, but I don't think he's here for the right reasons. Or... What's your opinion on the way that the senior pastor preached? Should he really challenge people like that? But whatever happened to like love and grace? And straight away, there's these tiny little things. That it's questions like these that are designed to be subversive. They get under the skin and they cause dissension. They plant seeds of doubt. They cause people to start gossiping and having different opinions. And it's kind of like when, uh, you know when, when animals hunt in a pack? and they chase down a herd, who do they go for? Do they go for the strongest and the bravest of the herd, or do they go for the weak and the sick, and they try and split them off from the pack, get them by themselves, and take them down, and then look to the next one? So one by one, they pick off the weakest. And we have to be really careful that we don't let our opinions get split us away from the herd or our family, which is our church. 
Proverbs 18.21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it, whether for death or for life. That's the amplified version. Proverbs 18 verse 2, fools find no pleasure in understanding, which you talked about and Pastor Sarah talked about, but they delight in airing their own opinions. With such responsibility on our words, then we must choose our words wisely. Would you agree? Yeah. Jesus himself was aware of this principle. He knew that having an opinion of his own on matters would cause division even within his ministry. If you turn to Matthew 22, 15 to 18, It says this, The Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a mighty man of integrity, that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others. You pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Now, if Jesus knows that people are trying to get opinions from you, they come along and say, You're a God-fearing Christian. You know what's right and what's wrong. What do you think about this? Now, if you speak of your own accord, you form an opinion. That can be separate to what God says. Jesus spoke about this also in John 12:49 and 50. He says, This is because I have never spoken of my own authority, of my own accord, or as self-appointed. But the Father who has sent me has himself given me orders concerning what to say and what to tell. And I know his commandment is and means eternal life. So whatever I speak, I am saying exactly what my Father has told me to say and in accordance with his instructions. Now, opinions don't seem to be very highly valued in the Word of God. King James Version mentions the opinion four times. Uh, I think New King James mentions it six times. The NIV mentions it four times. Interestingly, three of those times are in Job 32, when a young friend of Job gets really upset and wants to vent his opinion. Another time was when Elijah challenged the Israelites on how long they would waver between two opinions, whether God was God or Baal was God. But there are two basic failings with having opinions that you make up. They lack consistency. They often change based on your circumstance or experience. And opinions create mindsets. They usually require justification, which is essentially a mental fortification to endure. So you form an opinion and you have to build walls around that to stop other people being able to pull it down. So you build a stronghold in your mind when when you form an opinion. Both of these failings occur for one reason. An opinion is not always based on fact and it's not always the truth. So how can we win when it comes to this kind of assault on unity? How can we be sure that we stand unified as a church and operate in wisdom? Who's the truth? That's right. John 14 verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. And again, Corinthians 13, 1, 2, and 3. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So I would say that the truth in love is wisdom. 
And then when, when you feel that you need to speak about something, what's your purpose in expressing your opinion? Is it to love someone? Is it to edify them, to encourage them, to build them up? Is it to create unity within the church? Or is it just to have your own opinion? And another question that you can ask yourself, should you even have an opinion? This is a really challenging one, but I like it. Paul says in Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Essentially he's saying, I'm dead and Christ is living through me. So then our opinion should only be Christ's opinion. And Jesus said his opinion is only what God told him to say and what to speak. So I think it's wise to ask, to seek, to find out regarding these kind of questions. As disciples of Christ, we should be imitators of Christ. And as he imitated his father, who is now our father too, we should also say what he tells us to say and only what he tells us to say. Wisdom requires us to be accountable for our words and responsible for the time, place and method of delivery. Wisdom tells us that even the truth, if it is not spoken in love, should not be told. Wisdom encourages us to hold our peace even when we're asked for an opinion, if sharing that opinion results in fruit contrary to God's will and way. Wisdom inspires us to imitate our Lord and Saviour and to follow his example in speaking the word of God. And wisdom causes us to consider consequences to our words and actions before we speak and act. And in following with what Pastor Sarah said, wisdom is available to everyone. Read the book of Proverbs. Ask and seek. James 1 verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Proverbs 2 verse 6, For the Lord gives skillful and godly wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So I just wanted to close with this, that wisdom is the key to success in life, in love, in business, in relationships, in family, and even in your spiritual walk. And if you want to win in life, you need to get wisdom. So Father, we just thank you this morning for the opportunity to share. Lord God, we just ask right now, Father, that you would pour out wisdom on the people here that want it, Lord God. We thank you that you have bound this church together in unity, that we are a family, Father. We pray that you would fill us with wisdom, Father God, so that we can be that city on a hill, so that we can be the light to the earth, that we can be salt and the leaven, Father God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.